All right, so promises. How do you guys feel about promises? Most weeks, Ben and I catch up for a... Ben already knows where I'm going with this. We, uh, we catch up for a, uh, a breakfast and a coffee at Pump. Um, and usually as part of that kind of catching up, we'll organise the day before um, that we're going to catch up and, and that we're, gonna, we're all going to meet there. Yeah, no, you know, this is going... So in a way, uh, whenever we're organising, I'm making Ben a promise. I'm saying, Ben, I will see you at the coffee shop at 6.30 in the morning. And you, that's, that's my promise to you. Um, so, now I know we don't overanalyze these kind of promise, all these kind of like little interactions, um, but some of the things that Ben could be thinking in the back of his mind, obviously not necessarily consciously, are, oh, so Luke's promised me this. It's, um, you know, it's a fairly small promise, so you know, I'm not too worried that he's not gonna, he's not gonna come through with this kind of thing. Um, he might be thinking what my ability is to keep this promise. So yeah, Luke has a car, he's got finance, he's uh, you know, got to go to work, so he's going to be up uh, early anyway. So yeah, there's a pretty good chance that he's going to come through on this promise. Um, he might be thinking, well, what's Luke's track record with, with showing up on time? Uh, and I like to think that it's usually pretty good. I try and be reliable. Um, so these might be um, all things that Ben's thinking about in the back of his mind. So about two weeks ago, I just completely slept through my alarm. So Ben, ben is sitting there in the coffee shop, 6.30 in the morning, just twiddling his thumbs. Maybe he had some breakfast or a coffee, I don't know. Usually uh, you, you get in. What had actually happened is my, um, my phone had died, and it sits on my little kind of wireless recharging dock. So not only is it my clock and my alarm, it's also my means of contact. So... Couldn't even call him to say when I woke up. Oh, so here's the thing. I woke up and it was light. And I was like, this is not 6.30. <laughs> uh, so I had a look at my phone. Phone's dead. Oh, bugger. I need to call Ben. Phone's dead. Oh, bugger. So I ran out in my jocks to the computer to type on Facebook to say, I'm coming. I'm oh, like, oh, I can't make it. I'm so sorry. BJ wasn't in the house at the time, so it was fine. Um, so who has given a promise? Who has, oh, here we go. We'll start with something small. Raise your hand if you've had someone promise you this. I promise I'll take out the bins. Has anyone, anyone had that promise given to them? I promise I'll take out the bins. Keep your hand up if, if the person who promised that usually consistently does what they said they're going to do. All right, so a couple of hands have gone down. That's all right. We'll, we'll, that's fine. We'll pray for you guys later. That's all right. Well, hands up if you've made that promise before. I promise you I'll take out the bins. And keep your hand up if you always come through on that promise. All right, we'll pray for you too. <laughs> Welcome to Willowburn. We're tackling the big issues today. So there are promises that um, you give. You might ask for promises. Um, so I haven't had the opportunity to ask this promise just yet, but I was, remember when I was a kid, my parents would say something like, Luke, we're going to go to the park this morning, but can you promise me that you'll clean your room? Salvo. Um, and I can remember as a kid that that didn't necessarily always happen. I got an mmm from Camille, so I'm, I'm thinking that we're probably tracking on similar lines here. What about promises that you make to yourself? So you're going to love this one. I promise, and you might not even say it like this, but like, you know, I've been a bit slack lately. I promise I'm going to get to church on time this morning. So, uh, you know, I just thought I'd slide that one in there because we do seem to start at about 9.45. Church does start at 9.30, guys. So, in a way, that is a promise you're making to yourself that you're breaking. Um, 
So promises. I've been thinking a bit about promises. Now, I have asked Knowles for permission to share a little bit of the story of the surgery and stuff like that over the last couple of weeks, because obviously that's been on my mind. Um, so Nicole has just recently gone in for surgery, which was awesome. Praise God. Um, really hoping that that's, that's yep. fixed the... Yeah, come on. There's that. <laughs> I'm saying something good. Yeah. Um, and I remember that um, as Knowles was preparing... As Nels was preparing to um, go in for surgery, one of the things that she mentioned last time was it was really hard for her to pick up the Bible when she was tired and when she was stressed and anxious and um, on all the medication that would cause her to be drowsy and she was bedridden and fatigued, all that kind of thing. Um, it was hard for her to pick up the Bible and read the Bible, which is fair enough. I can see where she's coming from. Um, so I thought what I would do is I would create for her a book of God's promises. So this is the little book. I actually lost it and found it again, so I'm really glad that, uh, that I um, was able to find it. It's very, very simple. It's quite small. I wanted it to be like, really easy to, to use. And basically, there's a whole heap of just verses in here, but then right at the end, there are just four promises, four promises with about five words each. And the whole idea was when it was hard to pick up the Bible, when it was hard to um, focus on God, um, I wanted Nels to be able to pick up this little book Look at the promise and go, that's something I can stand on. Um, so I did some like cool little things, like I found some verses as well, because I didn't want to just you know, say something and not be able to back it up. So I did put some verses in there. I did this cool little thing where I found two uh, for each little promise. Um, and kind of like, you know what this is called. It's like you build up to like a central theme, and then it kind of goes back down, and the important thing's kind of in the middle. So I found these verses and made them symmetric around this, like one of them. It was very nerdy. It was, I think it was pretty cool. Probably goes by the wayside. But that's all right. Anyway, um, so what I wanted to do was give Knowles this book of promises that she could stand on, that when it was tough, when it was hard, to pick up the word, that there were just these promises that she could stand on as a bit of a baseline. So I've been given Joseph today, Joseph part two, following on from Ben last week, and I've been thinking about these promises. So what I wanted to do was have a bit of a look at some of the promises that we can see outworked, some of the promises that God gives us that we can see outworked in the life of Joseph. Um, and I want to have a bit of a look at the circumstance that he's in when these promises occur. I want to have a bit of a look at whether or not um, these promises apply to us. And I want to try and answer the question, so what? What does, that, what does that mean for us? So, I promise you four promises. Here we go. Let's jump in. First of all, God gives us wisdom. Would you say that from everything we heard last week from Ben's um, sermon, that Joseph is wise? Maybe think of the initial, like the early, the early Joseph. Early Joseph. I'm kind of leading the conversation here. You know, I'm trying to, trying to set something up. Um, so... Um, Bit of a recap, we see that uh, Joseph is Jacob's favorite son because he was born in his old age to Rachel. We see that he was given this amazing kind of coat that he kind of maybe not necessarily struts around in, but it's a clear symbol of how much uh, his father loves him. Um, we see that he can be a bit of a snitch sometimes. He brings a bad report of his brothers to his father. You know, snitches get stitches or snitches end up in ditches. He ends up in a ditch, yeah, that one. Um, he has some weird dreams about his family bowing down to him, like this one sheaf riding up and all these other sheaves of, I think it was corn, corn, wheat, wheat, yeah, sheaves of wheat, um, bowing down. And then he has this other dream. So he shares that with his brothers and it doesn't really go down so well. And he has another dream where it includes his parents as well. He shares that one because he thought the first one was such a good idea to share. <laughs> shares that one as well. Um, so 
It's not really the poster child for like a wise dude, at least in his younger years. Um, so what actually is wisdom? What is wisdom? If you had to, had to define it, shoot, one, one person. Fear of the Lord. Yep. That's a good one, the beginning of wisdom. Yep. Yep. I was going to say not necessarily knowledge. Not necessarily knowledge, yep. yep. Cool. Well, I really like the way that my study Bible put it. I just thought this was really succinct. Wisdom, as in the Old Testament, is a God-given and God-centered discernment regarding the practical issues of life. So it can be many things, but I thought that was actually that was pretty, pretty awesome. God-centered, God-given discernment about the practical issues of life. Something at this stage we don't really see too much of in Joseph. Maybe, maybe not, um, at least at the moment. So um, the wisdom of Joseph in his younger years is a bit questionable, but we'll jump forward a little bit. A lot happens between when we see Joseph as a young person. He gets uh, sold as a slave. Ben covered all this last, so I'm not going to go through it uh, too much. But uh, he gets sold as a slave, uh, gets put in charge of Potiphar's uh, house, has a running with Potiphar's wife, gets thrown in jail, uh, meets these two guys in there that he interprets these dreams of, which come to pass, ends up staying in jail for a bit longer. Pharaoh has these dreams, these really, really strange dreams of these fat, kind of healthy car, uh, like cows, um, seven of them, and then these really skinny, lean cows come up and eat the fat cows. It's a bit of a strange dream. Pharaoh then has a second dream where it's a similar kind of thing, except there's heads of wheat, and there's these really nice, lush heads of wheat, and these like skinny, withered ones come and eat them, and it's very, very strange. And so one of the, I think it's the, um, the cupbearer, who's one of the guys that was in jail with Joseph, who had his dream interpreted, goes, oh, there's this guy sitting in jail that I completely forgot about, my bad. Um, <laughs> we're going to, and he can interpret your dream. So Joseph comes, um, and he is able to, with God's help, interpret Pharaoh's dream. And he says, well, this is what it means. You're going to have seven years of um, plenty, followed by seven years of famine. So he's interpreted the dream, and we're going to pick up in Genesis 41 what happens after that. So he's interpreted the dream, and now he's going to provide a bit of advice for Pharaoh um, about what he should do. So Genesis 41, 33. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming to store up grain um, under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be reserved for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all of my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So what do we think about Joseph's wisdom now? Probably a little bit better. Um, now, I do know that there has been a whole heap of time between when we see Joseph as the, 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 the little dude. So I'm not saying, oh, he's just like magically snap wise. It's not, it's not what I'm saying. Um, so, you know, he was um, in charge of Potiphar's house and stuff. So he's obviously learned some skills about how like logistics and stuff work, um, stuff like that. So there has been time for Joseph to develop wisdom. But it is super clear 
that God is also giving Joseph wisdom. Um, He even says it himself. Before he goes uh, in to interpret these dreams for Pharaoh, in Genesis 41, he says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So, uh, Joseph's wisdom like starting to get a bit, bit higher. Um, does God promise us anything similar? Does God promise us anything to do with wisdom? It's a loaded question. You know he does. I'm going to give you where it is in a sec. But, um, so we know the whole Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's God's word to us. And in James 1, 2 to 8, the very start of uh, James's letter written to the church in Jerusalem, he was the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, he writes this. It's the very start of the letter. So... It's pretty important. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So what? <laughs> what does this mean for us? It means that we can rely on God when our understanding fails and when our ability to see the path before us diminishes, and the ability that we have to make decisions falters, we can pray to God for wisdom. We can pray for that God-given, God-centered discernment regarding the practical issues of life. That is a promise. That is a promise that God has given us that we can stand on, which I thought was pretty cool. Amen. (laughs) Um, So, I don't know, maybe you have been presented with like a whole heap of options of stuff that you can do. I remember when I finished uni, there was, I didn't really know what I was supposed to do with all the opportunity and stuff that I had. Um, but I can pray for wisdom and, and God will give it to me. Um, maybe you need help being a mother or a father or a husband or a wife. I know um, being engaged to Nicole and a soon-to-be husband, which I'm very excited about, I'm going to need a lot of help. There are a lot of things I don't... (laughs) Amen. Amen. Uh, There are a lot of things I don't know about being a husband, but I don't want that to, like, cripple me. I want to know that there is a promise that God has given me that he will give me the wisdom that I need to be a good husband. Um, One of... So I'm going to use an example of the surgery uh, again. So one of the times that I really needed wisdom was when we were coming up to this surgery... Um, through heaps of different channels, I had heard that there was a chance that, a non-trivial chance that Nicole was going to completely forget who I was. <laughs> Which, how many, raise your hand if you've been in that situation before? I couldn't find many people that had. And there had been um, at work, one of my colleagues, her, um, her brother had had um, a, like a brain operation. I think it was because of a brain injury and he had lost all of his memories for up to six months before, beforehand. So that would be the entire time we're dating and the engagement. Um, when we'd talked to somebody who'd had this surgery before, there were bits of his memory that couldn't really, couldn't really remember. Um, so it was a very real kind of, I've got no idea how to react to this. I've got no idea how to support my beautiful fiance. I've got no idea what I'm supposed to do if this happens. And I just remember praying that I 
would need God's wisdom. And you can ask Nicole after the sermon as to whether or not any of that was helpful <laughs> and whether or not he came through. I think at least um, for me and just like my peace and stuff like that, he, he absolutely did come through. And so I was able to pray for, I guess, the wisdom of what to do in a situation that I had never been in before and I could stand on that promise that God would give that to me. I'm just going to take a drink. <clears throat> so, promise number one. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. God promises us wisdom. Happy with that? Amen. God provides for us. So, um, it's really hard to imagine what it would have been like for Joseph to be thrown in the pit and hear Ben like talked us through this uh, the other week and like hear his brothers like exchanging money and stuff like that as he's about to get sold. Um, all of the, I guess like he had a very, very comfortable life being the son of like a very wealthy man. Um, everything was very, very familiar. Um, he would have been probably feeling... Um, like insecure, he'd probably be feeling a bit betrayed because his brothers are uh, selling over to the Ishmaelites. It's, um, when I was having a bit of a look at this and just trying to think of ways that we can relate to it, I've, it's just it's really quite hard to, <laughs> to imagine what it would be like to be sold because we're just so blessed here in Australia that it's not something we really ever have to, um, to worry about. But one thing that we can potentially relate with is that the trajectory of Joseph's life at that point had taken a pretty steep nosedive. Um, so um, I guess the, the place that he thought he was going in life in the course of a day just completely changed. Um, so some of this we might be able to relate with. Um, maybe uh, you've lost your job. Um, we, one of our close friends uh, just lost his job a couple of weeks ago, and that was... That was really, really hard for him. I guess the trajectory of his life changed really, really quickly. Um, there's a whole heap of like anxiety and stress that would come along with that as well. The trajectory of his life has changed really quickly and not for the better. Um, maybe a bit more of a slow burn kind of thing. Maybe you're just getting older and you just can't do the things that you used to be able to do anymore. Um, I can't play games anymore. It's just not enough time in a day. I don't know. Well, it's a bit of a side one, but it is. Um, no, it's such a, such a hardship. No, no. But it is true. Like, uh, I know my pop, it's really hard to see him not be out of Moe's lawn anymore. Every time we go down there on Moe's lawn, just when I don't even really go down that much, it's really, really hard to see the, um, the things that he used to be able to do. He just can't anymore, and he'll just sit there watching us and just kind of, I don't know, be a bit bit sad about it. So. Um, so I think in some ways, even though it is hard to relate to Joseph being sold, we can relate to um, the trajectory of our lives changing, whether it's slowly or quickly, and not for the better. So back to Joseph. Joseph was in a pretty bad way, um, and we're going to read on a little bit. So this is just, um, just after he'd been sold as a slave. In Genesis 39, we read, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So 
Uh, even when Joseph had nothing, the trajectory of his life has just completely changed. He's literally lost all comfort, all ties to family, all literally, literally everything. We still see God providing for him. It's not possibly the level that he was expecting or, uh, or um, uh, you know, exactly where his life not exactly where he thought his life was going, but God is there and God is providing for him. He's providing the opportunities, the ability um, to be able to serve Potiphar in, this, in the context that he is now in. Um, and so, yeah, God is God's providing for him. Um, we see the same provision in the jail. So we know a little bit later... Joseph has a run-in with Potiphar's wife, gets thrown in jail. Um, he's sitting there, but then God blesses him, causes everything he does to be a success. Um, God is providing for him again, and it starts climbing back up. So he eventually gets put in charge of all the stuff in the jail, and the jailer doesn't have to worry about any of that kind of thing. So even in the midst of all that loss and all that hardship, God is still providing for Joseph. Um, we also see, this is just a, it's a little bit of a side note, um, but I did notice that we also see a bit of a positioning for the future things in all these bits of provision. So, you know, Joseph has um, been made a slave, really. It's, it's quite terrible. But then he goes, but that puts him in Egypt. And we all know the end story for Joseph is that he's actually going to be the 2IC, second in command, if you don't know what 2IC means. Um, or something that Noel's pointed out. She's like, when you're doing this, make sure you mention to do 2IC. So <laughs> thank you, babe. Um, so... At each point in this, unbeknownst to Joseph, God is actually providing for him the path that he needs to be on to get to where God like wants him to fulfill his kind of purpose. Does that make sense? It's a little bit of a roundabout way of thinking it. Um, and immediately, it might be hard to see the provision, but it's there. It's in the background. And so you get the tangible stuff that you'll see immediately. But also, there's this provision of, hey, I've got you on, I've got you on a bit of a plan. This is where... You're going to end up, and I'm going to get you there. It's not going to be the way you, you think you might get there. Probably you don't even really know where you're going, honestly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so we see that as well. So even unknowingly to Joseph, God is providing the circumstances necessary for Joseph to step into the calling that God has for his life. It's God's provision. So does God promise us anything similar? Does God promise us that he'll provide for us? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. In Matthew 6, 25 to 30... And you've, this is like, you would just pull this out because it's the, it's the one to go to for provision. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So what? So what does that mean for us? Well, it means that when things are hard, we shouldn't turn away from God and lose hope. Instead, we should stand on the promise that he will provide for us. And above all else, we should pursue God and seek first his kingdom. And we see this in the story of Joseph, especially later on in his life. We see this multiple times. We see that when um, Joseph is... Um, preyed upon by Potiphar's wife, um, and Potiphar confronts him. Um, Joseph runs out, leaves his thing behind, and what he says is, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He is pursuing God. He's pursuing the kingdom. He's pursuing the kingdom values 
morals, all that kind of stuff. He's putting God first. Um, when Joseph is interpreting the dreams, he doesn't take the credit for himself. He's giving the credit to God. He says um, to Pharaoh, I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answers to the desire that he desires. So he's seeking first the kingdom. He is pursuing the kingdom stuff, not gain for himself. Right at the very end of the story of Joseph, we see that after all um, all the trials and stuff that Joseph had been put through after his brothers had sold him into slavery, his brothers come and ask for food. Um, And I could imagine that if my sister had sold me into slavery and they came asking for food, I'm not going to be the most charitable person. Um, And Joseph does do this weird thing where he sends them away and he brings them back and he puts gold in their thing and calls them, yeah. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, plays with them a little bit, I guess. Um, I'm sure there's some divine purpose for that, but that can be your homework. You can figure out what all that was about. Ultimately, though, Joseph forgives his brothers. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So he's just like, he could just give in and just be like, oh, I'm going to punish you. I'm not going to give you any food. But he's seeking the kingdom first. Um, So seek first the kingdom. All this would be added to you. You can see that in Joseph. And that's um, what we need to do. So perhaps you do need physical provision. Uh, You can stand on the promise that God is going to provide. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's not me making the promise. If, <laughs> like it's God making this promise to you. If you do need physical provision, he has promised you that he knows your need and he will give you what you need. Maybe it's just that you need some words to say to someone. I needed words to say this morning. And um, I was really praying for God's provision that he would put on my heart the things that he wanted to share with you. Um, and that is something that even when I didn't feel like it was going to come together, I just stood on the promise and go, God, just give me something that I can share, something that would encourage my brothers and sisters, something that would lift them up, something that would build them up, something that would bring them closer to you, um, and hopefully he's done that. This is an interesting one. I'm going to kind of flip this, this practical application of provision on its head because this is something that has happened to me even just this week. Maybe you are blinded by your need to provide. So um, I was reminded of this just two nights ago. Um, so I started up a little bit of a, like a digital art map business um, just to make a bit of extra cash, give Noles and I a bit of a jump start into, into marriage and pay off some bills, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's kind of come out of my desire to want to be a good provider. <laughs> um, and... So I've been uploading all these maps, and they've been doing quite well, so much so that other people have started copying them and, in fact, making more than I have. Um, and with these kind of, like, fad-type things, you've really got to be, like, on the game. When people start doing more than you, you have to jump ahead of them and make sure um, that you're at least equaling their, their kind of level of service if you still want to be competitive. So I noticed this on Thursday, when I still hadn't really written this message at all, um, and I was sitting there trying to write down this sermon, and I'm just sitting there going, oh, I'm running out of time to do this other stuff. I need to, I want to provide. Um, 
I, if I don't get this done, this other person's going to beat me. Uh, I was really anxious and stressed about it because I was like, I was researching this other guy who's like beating me to these maps. And he turns out that he lives in the same town that this online service is built in. So I feel like he's got some inside advantage and their, their mates are promoting all of his stuff more than I. And I'm just like, oh, I've really got to get ahead of this. I've really got to get ahead of this. I still haven't done anything on my sermon, but it's really important that I get this done because it's really time sensitive. Um, and I was just so convicted that I was just putting my need, my want to provide for myself ahead of the stuff that God had called me to do. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have felt that before, but I just, like, even Thursday night, I was sitting there doing maps instead of doing the, like this, instead of preparing this. And, like, it was just like, oh, man, I'm glad. In a way, I'm kind of glad you've redeemed this because otherwise I'd feel terrible. I can share it as an example of what not to do. <laughs> So I want to flip that on its head. Maybe you need real physical provision. Maybe you just need something to say to someone. Or maybe you are being blinded by the fact that you think you need to provide and you're not relying on God at the sake of, for the sake of doing stuff that he's called you to do. Does that make sense? It's a bit of a backwards kind of thing. Um, so promise number two. God knows your need. Seek first his kingdom and stand on the promises that he will provide for you. God promises provision. God promises wisdom. God promises provision. Um, promise number three. God is with us. There are at least two points in the story of Joseph that we can see explicitly stated that God was with Joseph. The first was just after he entered into um, Potiphar's house as being a slave, uh, it said uh, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a success- successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. The second that we see is when he's thrown in jail as prisoner. Um, so Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confirmed. This is in Genesis, 20, Genesis 39, 20. Sorry, I haven't been doing very good with the references, but you can ask me for them afterwards. Um, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So can you see any any similarities between these two? situations, these two verses. They're almost exactly, yeah, it's almost exactly the same, yeah, very, very similar. Um, so I guess what I kind of immediately noticed was that God is with us, especially during important times. This is the only two times that it's mentioned that God is with Joseph, um, and it happens directly after Joseph's life takes a nosedive, gets um, sold as a slave, God is with you. Gets put in prison, God is with you. So to me, it stuck out that it's important to know that one, instead of like when life takes a nosedive, it's really important to know that God is with you. Um, and more than that, it also says that at least in these cases, God caused him to succeed. So um, we see a bit of a pattern here of something bad happens to Joseph. It's okay. God is with you. Causes, you, causes him to succeed. Starts pulling him out of it. Something bad happens again, gets thrown in jail. That's okay, God is with you. Causes you to succeed, starts pulling you out of it. Um, so I thought that was like a cool little, cool little observation, observation to hang on. So God is with us. What does Jesus' name mean? 
Emmanuel, or salvation, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us, it's in his name. God, God with us. So, God with us, what does this mean for us? It means that there is nowhere that we can go, no situation that we can be in, that can separate us from our great God. And I really love the way that Paul puts it when he's writing to the churches in Rome. Romans 8.38, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Which is just, it's really, really powerful. I love reading these epistles. They're just they're spot on. So, um, you know, we all feel a bit alone sometimes. It could be that we are um, physically alone. We lack, we lack the company of, uh, we, we lack that company with someone that, um, that we desire. We might feel physically alone if the person that we usually talk to is, is not available. Um, or, or, or you don't have anyone to talk to. Maybe, um, maybe we just miss the person they ha- that we have because they are temporarily gone or permanently gone. We could be situationally alone. So you know you could feel like, I'm the only one that's holding all of this together. That means it's all going to fall apart. No one really understands what is going on. I've got to bear the brunt of all of this myself and don't really have that many people alongside me. This is really, really hard. Um, did I actually read out what God's promise was for us? I don't think I did. I think I skipped over that a little bit. But anyway, here's God's promise to you. <laughs> um, and I've taken this specifically out of... Um, well, okay. Where does, does anyone know a couple of places where God promises that he'll be with us? Yep, hold on with you always. Never leave you or forsake you. Yep. I've chosen one that's not usually the kind of one that I think people pick out, but I chose it for a cool reason, and it's the Great Commission. Um, so Matthew 28, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. This is after he'd risen. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So when we are feeling physically alone, when we are feeling situationally alone, God promises us that he will be with us always. And the situational one is, is really, really cool because I chose this version because how do you think the, um, the disciples felt when Jesus had risen again and he was about to go and he says, you 11, I know there were more underneath, you 11 just go into all the nations and make disciples in my name. Do you feel like that's a pretty daunting task? That's a pretty terribly daunting situation for those guys to be in. Um, But he says, don't worry, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. You won't be alone. You don't have to bear this burden by yourself. So when things are tough and there is a lot being asked of us, we can take comfort in promise number three, that God is with us. God will give us wisdom. God will provide for us. God is with us. So we are going to face challenges in life 
And God gives us many promises, promises that we can stand on in tough times, promises that encourage us, promises that are immediately practical and that help take our eyes off the near horizon and focus on him, the far horizon. So maybe you have, maybe you are, maybe you are starting a new career path and you feel like you're in way over your head and you have no idea what you're supposed to be doing, you no idea how you are supposed to be juggling your time, managing your time, you can pray for wisdom. God, help me with these practical issues. Can you show me how I'm supposed to manage all this? Maybe you have lost your job or the job that you have is not paying the bills. You feel um, that you have to provide and or, or the flip side of that, you are just so blinded by the fact that you think you need to provide and you're not relying on God, it's a really real problem. You can can pray to God for provision and you can stand on that promise. God has promised that he he knows your needs and he will give you what you need. And maybe, maybe you're alone. No one really understands what you're going through. It might, you know, you might be surrounded by um, friends, family. You might physically have people there, but you feel like, No one really understands what you're going through. God is with you. He has promised that he's going to be with you. So I promised you four promises. I've saved the best to last. For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son... that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. Amen. And this is the greatest promise. This is the promise that God loves us. because the circumstantial evidence of these other promises might be hard to see. It might be hard to see God's provision. It might be hard to see the way forward. You might not be able to feel like God is with you. But this one is easy to see. That's easy to hold on to. In John 15, 12 to 13, Jesus says this, My command is this, love each other, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down, lay down one's life. God has promised to save us. He has laid down his life for us. And in this broken world of pain and suffering and loss and injustice, God has promised to wipe away the tear from every eye. And when we are to give an account of all of the places that we have fallen short,
Jesus steps in as our advocate and says, I've paid for it. And unlike my promise to Ben about rocking up at 6.30, which I completely blew through, God's promise is never a term void. He has the ability, he has the resource, he has the track record. Whatever God promises, he will come through on. So really, when we come to communion, we come to a table of promise. This is God's promise that if you are found in him, that you will not perish, you will have eternal life with him. The way we have fallen short, he has paid for it. And so as we come to communion this morning, I'm going to chuck on a song, and as I was preparing this message, the song Be Thou My Vision came on. It was really cool. Because it's pretty much just a song about all these promises. Be Thou My Wisdom, Thou With Me Always. Riches I heed not, you'll provide. It was really powerful. I hope it's as powerful for you as it is for me. <laughs> so I'm going to chuck that on in the background. If you guys want to come up, grab some bread. This is the body that was broken for us. It was the, the blood that was spilled for us. So that we can stand on that promise that if we are found in him, that we will not perish, we'll have eternal life and we get to spend eternity with our loving, loving Father. <laughs>